Father, we do thank you and praise you so much that we serve a resurrected king. And uh, I think in some ways it was easy, Lord, uh, for you to resurrect your son, Jesus, uh, to call him back. That's no thing for you, but sometimes it feels even more uh, of a miracle that you would resurrect us, that you would regenerate us, that you would call us back from the dead, that you would give us new life, that you would circumcise our hearts with the promise of the new covenant and regenerate us and make us alive again. Lord, we thank you for the uh, commission and the cup, Lord, for the things that you give. And we pray today as we worship you that it will bring you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome here, everyone. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. If you're just joining us, which I often say, you know, if you're just joining us, welcome. But let me say this. If you're just joining us, you really just missed out. That was awesome. Thank you so much, worship team, Joe. Great work this morning, everyone. Thank you for your encouragement. What a team we have here at Midland Free. If you're tuning in online, I hope you're able to follow along. Uh, maybe you need to tune up the volume a little bit, but it sounds good here. And welcome Welcome, body. Today, we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Mark. Um, today's sermon title is The Commission and the Cup. The Commission and the Cup. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14 as we finish out the last couple chapters on our way to Easter and the resurrection of the resurrecting king. Uh, we're basically talking about the subject of life today. And all of us who are listening obviously are, are alive in some way or another, and we have that. But really, more specifically, we're talking about the Christian calling on your life, the purpose of your life, where it's going, what it's supposed to be doing, what is the meaning behind it, how does this all work. Mark chapter 14. As you're turning there, I'll tell you a little story about the image in my mind that's coming up as we read this section of scripture. You know, there's a lot of ways to approach scripture. And the way I try to do it is as scripture presents itself. In other words, if it's a poem, I try to preach it like a poem. If it's history, I try to preach it like history. If it's apocalypse future, I try to preach it like that. If it's a New Testament letter, an epistle, I try to preach it like that in a very logical flow. Well, this one, the book of Mark, is story or narrative. It's this progressive unveiling. So you don't want to give away necessarily all the uh, stuff at the start, but there's these incredible twists along the way. And it works a lot like a TV show. Even if you're not a literature person, you've watched TV, you know how this works. Like you get these little tidbits here, and then you go to another scene, and then you go to another scene. And when you have cameras and stuff like that, you can shoot these different spots. So for example, imagine if it's like a spy show or something like that. Like you would have, for example, you'd have a meeting in an upper room. You might have a really closed door session. And people have gathered for a meal. And there's stuff going on in the background. Like perhaps even an assassination plot. And then there's going to be another meet. It's scheduled for out in some park. Because you know how they do it. They always meet in a park. And they walk by and they've got their briefcase. And they sort of bump each other. And then they're walking with a different briefcase the other way. And something just happened. There's going to be an exchange in the park coming up. And there's not only the exchange in the park. But there's also all the powers that be. And there's these, these political forces that are going on in one spot. And there's these contrary sport forces going on in the other and they all want to disrupt each other and everybody wants to be in power and you don't really know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy that's what we have going on here 
in Mark chapter 14. There's literally an assassination attempt brewing in the background. There's going to be a garden meet. There's a, hey, let's meet for dinner. Look around. Sit in the back of the restaurant. Make sure nobody else is there. And now we can talk quietly amongst ourselves. Mark chapter 14. You ready? Here we go. Verse 10 I'm going to start just a touch earlier. Verse 10, it says, And Judas Iscariot, who's one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. There's a payoff. There's an exchange. Something's going. They saw an opportunity to betray him. So there's one scene. Now it switches scenes. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, we talked about this a little last week, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So here comes the dinner meeting. And he sent two of his disciples ahead of them and says, go into the city. And a man carrying a jug of water, here's your sign, will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, "Teach." the teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready and there prepare for us. The disciples set out, went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, it was dark, it was night. Here we go, slipping out into the mystery. He came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one another, is it I? He said to them, it's one of you. It's one of the 12. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written to him, but woe. Woe, woe, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he hadn't even been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take the strangest things he says. This is my body. And he took the cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to them. And they drank And all drank of it. And he said to them. This is the blood of the covenant. Which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Until that day. And when I drink it anew. In the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So what in the world is going on here? Well I think you see from my little. Uh, dramatization that there's a lot of excitement uh, and there's a lot of different things brewing and so there's a lot of ways I could go about it but I'm gonna be clear I'm not just skipping over stuff to be silly or arbitrary I'm doing this on purpose in the next few weeks what you're going to see is this I'm going to treat each scene as a scene okay so for example today I'm going to look at the the dinner scene okay the supper and then next week we'll look at the garden scene And then the following week, we'll look at the betrayal scene. So you'll notice at the start, there's like 
two little hints of the betrayal. And then in the middle, there's some more betrayal. And then it comes back around a few verses later and there's more betrayal. But I'm not going to follow that thread and connect it all today. I'm going to do that in three weeks. Today, the one I'm looking at is just the dinner meeting. So we don't have to look at three different things at one time. We're going to go dinner meeting, garden scene, betrayal, and then put them all together like that. So today, we're talking about the dinner meeting, the commission... And the cup, the commission in the cup. I want to look first of all at the commission. And it's kind of funny, I use this. Christians uh, use this term a lot, the great commission. We refer to Matthew chapter 28. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, welcome here. We're so glad you're worshiping with us. You'll learn that term eventually. But what's funny is the big one that we look at actually happens a lot of times in small form all throughout. Jesus is establishing a pattern of sending his disciples. And you see this early on in his ministry and frequently. And so here, for example, in chapter 14, verse 13, look what it says. Here's, here it is up on the screen. It says, Jesus sent. Jesus sent. This is what Jesus does. You know, we're not just sending missionaries so we can feel good about ourselves. We send missionaries because Jesus sends. Like Jesus sends. He sends two of his disciples and he says to them, go, go. Jesus is a sender. The word for send here is apostello. The same word we get the English word apostle, the sent ones. And what it does is this, even if you're not familiar with Christianity, maybe you're in management or something like that, you understand the value of stakeholder ownership. Like people who want to be a part of something need to feel that ownership. And if you're doing all the work yourself, which you might very well be able to do, then they don't really take part. But if you give them a task or if you let them be part of it or if you empower them in certain ways and all of a sudden they take ownership and they're like, yeah, let's do this. This is our mission. We're going to grab a hold of it and get on board. That's what Jesus does with disciples and with us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the disciples. He's completely capable of doing all of this on his own. But in his incredible grace, he gives us an opportunity to be part of his mission. He sends. This is what he does. He sends. And he says, go, 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 go. Look through scripture and see how many times Jesus tells his followers, go. And if you're one of his followers, you're like, hang on, wait, wait, wait. I don't really know what's going on here, Lord. I'm not sure if I want to get into this. Do you remember what we were just talking about a few minutes ago at dinner? Like you said somebody was going to betray you. (laughs) And you want us to step out into that? Hang on, shouldn't we like step away from that? Uh, that doesn't add up. And she's like, go. Go into the city. Whoa, 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 the same city that is full of revelers and full of people excited about overthrowing the Roman government. Full of the same people who are looking at you to be the Messiah and turn this thing on its head. The same city that's got the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that want to kill you. The same city that has the Romans who can crucify you and they don't want anybody making any noise or they're going to tell them to shut up and cut their head off. Is that where you want us to go? And Jesus says, yes. Go that way. Go into the city where you might be killed. In fact, you probably won't be killed tonight, but by the way, you will at some point. Go. Jesus sends his disciples into the city, into the dark, into the unknown. And there's a tremendous 
amount of uncertainty at this point. They have no idea what is going to happen to them. They have no clue. They might get killed this very night. There could be guards outside the door. And Jesus says, go. Sign me up for that. Anybody interested? This is right out of a spy novel. And so, what you see in verse 16 is this. The disciples, they set out. They did obey here. Let's give them credit for that. They set out and they went into the city and someone stabbed them in the back. They got arrested. They couldn't find the guy with the jug. Oh, what a bummer. He said there'd be a guy here. He failed. What's going on? No, wait. What's verse 16 say? says they found it just as he had told them. Exactly as Jesus said. Do you know how important that little phrase is? When Jesus declares something, it happens exactly the way he said. Why in the world are they in the dark city in the middle of the night looking for a guy with a jug of water? Well, think about Uganda or some of the places we do mission. How many guys do you see walking around with a jug of water on their head? <laughs> Not that many. It's usually the women, right? Women are carrying the jug of water. Guys are doing other things. And that's the way it was here. And so what Jesus has either done, and most, most of the commentators that I read think that he prepared this in advance. It wasn't just his foreknowledge or his perfect omniscience, but instead that he had made arrangements ahead of time. He had met with this person and said, hey, I want to have dinner in your house. It's a good spot. Will you host me? I know you're one of my followers. Yes, I will. How are we going to let disciples know? I think, I know, I'll carry a water jug on my head. <laughs> Like, yeah, that'll be different. And so as people are walking through the city, they're not really paying attention. There's a bunch of water jug heads walking around and no one's looking too close. And it's no big deal. But the disciples are walking down this alley, just like a spy novel or whatever else. They're like. And the guy kind of goes. And then they know. There's our guy. And he ducks down the alley. Walks up the stairs. Like, ah, follow him. Away we go. Just as Jesus said. Requires a tremendous amount of faith. And disciples are found faithful here to follow. And look for the sign. And do what he said. I wonder. Boy, do I wonder. How many times do we need to do that? We may not have a sign like a water jug or whatever else. But Jesus does the same thing for us that he did for them. He sends us. He calls us. This is our life. It's not to be stagnant. It's to be moving and doing something for him on his behalf. And he tells us to go. To go. To go. And it's scary because you can feel like. And it very well may be the case that plots are brewing. Something's going on behind the scenes that you don't understand. 
somebody's out to get you. And there's politics and there's power plays. There's all this junk going on. There's intrigue around every corner. And yet Jesus tells you, go. Go. And maybe that's not your situation, but I bet there's a situation in your life where you're like, I'm not sure if I want to step into this. Maybe you have a medical issue and you've, told, you've, you've been told you need surgery and Jesus is kind of hinting like this is where you need to go and you're like, I'm not so sure. Why? Well, because what about all this COVID stuff? I mean, my surgery could get canceled and I get COVID a few days before and then there's no beds and it messes everything up and it doesn't work and I don't know what to do and will I have therapists and how's it? I... Go. Lord says, whatever he's calling you to, Go. What about this pregnancy? I don't understand because we weren't planning on this and all of a sudden this person's here and we're not ready. Go. Now all of a sudden my company's been bought out. This or that, I don't understand. Looks like a merger. Will my position be here? I don't know. Structure's changing. We'll see. Jesus says go. Maybe you've made it through all of that and you're still alive. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I honor you. <laughs> and you're looking into retirement. And you're like, boy, this is a change. I don't know. I'm not so sure. Like I had the structure and rhythm and routine. Now everything's going to be upside down and I'll be on limited income. And will my income outlast me or I outlast it? I don't know. What am I going to do? Or maybe you're entering into an emotional crisis where like something's going on inside of you and you can't explain it. It hurts. It's not working. And all of a sudden you can't function. What am I going to do? See, Jesus keeps telling his disciples, go, 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 go. And do you know why we can? Do you know why? Do you know why we can go into those situations? Because he goes before us. Because he goes before us, just like in this water jug situation. If Jesus just said to the disciples, go, and he'd done nothing in advance, good luck. Where are we going? What are we looking for? What do we do when we find it? No idea. Good luck. But... Jesus doesn't tell him everything he's planned out in advance. And guess what? He doesn't tell you everything he's planned out in advance either. He's not going to. That would never build your faith. And if you're a Christian, it means you have to have faith. And in order for your faith to grow, you can't know everything. (laughs) If you did, it'll never grow. But by not knowing, then you can trust in him. And what you're trusting in is not that you have a plan or you've got it figured out, but that he does. And so you take that next step when he says go and you go and he tells you one little thing and you just got to look for that. And we do, you're like, wow, look how this all worked out. It's amazing. It's like you were here ahead of me. It actually was. See, he goes before us. He's behind us. He's around us. He's in and through us. He's ahead of all things. Jesus goes before you. He goes before the disciples. He goes before us. You see this not just here, but you'll see this, for example, if you go back a few chapters, I think it's 11. 
If you go back a few chapters, the triumphal entry, remember there's this donkey, it's tied up, and the master already knew about it. The guy's like, what? This is like number two, you know? Eventually, you start realizing how it works, but we're Christians, and we're people, and we're fallen, we're broken, and we don't. We just think, oh, go? Jesus says, yeah, go. Here's what's going to happen. Little hint, big delivery. Under promise, over deliver. (laughs) Jesus, he says it, it happens, just as he said. There's a commission, go. But there's no value in the commission unless you know that he goes before you. Go. Go. Jesus says, go. Jesus goes before you. Now, it's not just here, but it's actually a theme that you follow throughout the whole Bible. Just so you know, I'm pretty sure this is the way this works. Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, starting like a long time ago when God was leading his people. Moses said to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. It's a Passover, right? We're talking about the Passover. Let's connect this to Moses a little bit. He's like, I'm not even going to try to get out of Egypt if you're not ahead of me. God's saying, Moses, go. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And and Moses is smart here. He's like, I ain't going anywhere unless you're going ahead of me. (laughs) I'm not doing anything unless you're there first. But if Jesus is leading you through pillars of cloud and fire, then whatever is in the wilderness does not matter. Go. Go. Matthew chapter 28, so skipping way ahead, says this, at the resurrection, we'll see it again, I just want to show you, there's so many times in between, but here's the resurrection. The angel comes to disciples at the empty tomb Said, go quickly and tell us, or to the women, says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he is ah, going before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. He's already there. You guys need to catch up. Go. Go. And he's going ahead of you. Wherever he's calling you, he's already there. First, There's a commission. Remember this sermon's titled The Commission and the Cup. The commission is to go. Why can we go? Not because it's easy. Not because it won't be risky. But because Jesus goes ahead of us. Number one, go. Number two, there's a cup. There's a cup. There's a cup. Now, there's two parts to this cup. There's an old cup and a new cup. An old covenant and a new covenant. An Old Testament and a New Testament. I just called it a cup. But what you see playing out in this passage is both. You see the old covenant, the Passover, and you see it switching into the new covenant, the Lord's Supper. Okay, so there is sort of one big cup, but there's two little cups under that. And um, I want to start then with the old one and move into the new one, because that's kind of the way it progresses in this chapter. So it starts with the old covenant or the old cup or the Passover And here's a slide depicting uh, the various elements that you will see in this. You see, it's a meal, and there's going to be bitter herbs, there's going to be stewed fruit, there's going to be roasted lamb, and there's going to be unleavened bread. And all of these things have tremendous historical significance and speak to what they're celebrating and remembering and what it is that God does. So at every meal, you're going to have a host 
And this is not uncommon for what we have today. You know, if you're having a nice meal, someone might say, hey, here's this, here's this. You'll enjoy this with this or this with that. And this is how it works. This is way more elaborate than that. This is extensive. This is a big deal of feast. But the same sort of idea. And so, for example, you have bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs are representing uh, the people's suffering as Pharaoh's slaves. It brings tears to their eyes. It makes their mouth water. It, it, it messes up their nose. It remembers how, oh, this was tough to be in slavery. You have stewed fruit, which reminds them of the misery of making bricks in Egypt. You have the roasted lamb, which is the centerpiece of the whole thing. And it brings to remembrance the lamb's blood that was applied to the doorpost and the death angel passing over them as it destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. And finally, you have the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread is basically the Old Testament version of fast food. It means there's no time for the bread to rise. So you got to go through the drive-thru. You got to pick it up on the way. You can't sit there and bake this all day. There's no time. Don't put leaven in it. Instead, you go to this meal. Even thousands of years later, they would go into this meal and they would have their shoes on, their belt buckles tied, their sash around their chest, and their walking stick in hand because they got to remember that when God says, go, you go. And you get ready. And there's no time to wait. And so the bread is unleavened. Bitter herbs, stewed, roasted lamb, unleavened bread. And that's the Old Testament. There's a lot more about that in Exodus. That's all we have time for today. But then it switches to the other cup, the New Testament, the New Covenant. And what happens is this. It's an amazing, amazing and beautiful, beautiful switch. Um, and I just... I mean, like Joe this morning, I just can't help but getting overwhelmed at this because what you see is this in verse 12 of Mark chapter 14 and then in verse 16 of Mark chapter 14 is what's called parallelism where two things stack up on top of each other double, double time to make a point. And if you look at this slide right now, you'll see that. I think the point being made here is this. It says, when, on the first day, they, that's the disciples, they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And remember, it was the disciples who set out and went to the city and they prepared the Passover. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sitting in the room with them and they're going out and slaughtering a lamb. They go to market and right before They remember the deliverance from slavery from Egypt. And right before they're seeing the crucifixion of the son of God. They're scooping up into their arms this beautiful perfect little white lamb. And they're going with the crowds of revelers to the temple. And they're standing in line. And while they're in line they're not pulling out their cell phones. And checking their social media and sending texts and swiping emails and reading the news. But instead they're sitting there meditating on God's abundance grace deliverance of his people still seeing the Roman soldiers surrounding them they're walking to the temple and waiting to bring that living creature before the priest who will slit its throat and smash the blood all over the altar and then they will take the limp body back to the place of preparation put it on a spigot and roast it 
And throughout the entire city, all you will smell is roasted lamb. And into this scene walks the lamb of God. They prepared it. They sacrificed it. They were part of it. They have ownership in this thing. Man, they're in. And there they are with that old cup. There's actually four of them by that time at this meal. And Jesus is going through the elements. And guess who's hosting the dinner? The lamb is the host. And he's explaining the cup of blood. The new covenant. See, the old cups for the old lambs were one. But this new cup is not going to be the old lambs. This is going to be his. And that means you don't have to do it every every other you know, routine year. It means you trust in Jesus' blood, that you believe in his death, his burial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. And you don't have to do anything else, but you let that one perfect lamb pay for you. And when you believe in Jesus, as Joe said this morning, then you overcome the world. Here's the lamb of God hosting the supper, the blood of his own new covenant. In verse 22, as they were eating the old lamb, the new lamb took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body. Now understand, they see him sitting there right in front of them. Okay, they don't think it's his actual body. There are some churches that do teach that. In fact, I put a lot more on that in the life group questions. The Jews were not cannibals. Early Romans who persecuted Christians and crucified them, called them cannibals. That was not the case. They know that this is symbolic, okay? They understand that he's sitting in front of them. But what he's saying is there's this new cup, verse 23, and he takes it. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then verse 25, he says, truly, I will not drink it again. Of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new, drink it anew in the kingdom of God. What is all this kingdom stuff? What are you doing, Lord? Hold on. Aren't you going to overthrow Rome? Nope. I'm going to spill my blood. Whoa, you're going to spill your blood. Yes, like a Passover lamb. But doesn't that mean you're dead? Well, yes. Well, how do you win? Because I'm going to drink it again. How do you drink it again? Well, you're going to have to come alive again. You won't get to drink again if you're dead. But if he is the resurrecting king that we just sang about, then maybe this death is not the end. And maybe, just maybe, your death and my death is, isn't either. So when Jesus tells you to go into whatever situation it is, even if it's your death, you can follow him faithfully into that. Knowing that he can bring you back from the dead. And you will drink this cup with him again. See, the supper, the new covenant, the old covenant, it celebrates God's victory in the past, both in Egypt and at the cross, but it looks forward to his victory in the future as well when he comes again. We have a commission. We have a cup. They had a commission. They had a cup. Our commission says to us, go, but don't worry. Even though it's scary, even though it's hard, he goes ahead of you. And our cup says, don't worry. 
He loves you. It'll be okay. He's got this covered. Trust in him and you'll drink it again. Jesus goes before us. I guess that's what makes him the alpha and the omega. The interpreter. The authority. The judge. And the one who gets the last word. Your life may at times feel like a spy novel with mystery and intrigue and uncertainty. Mine often does too. That's why I get in my car and I'm like, yeah. And my kids say, Dad, you're silly. I say, you're right. That's right. But if you get up in the morning, you shovel the snow, and it's Michigan, that means you come home at night and you cut the grass. And that means you get to have a little fun with it and use your imagination, tell a couple dad jokes. And while I'm imagining this great adventure that really doesn't exist, perhaps just maybe I'll remember the one that does. And I'm not a secret agent or a super spy, a rock star or a hero. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that means I have a commission and I have a cup. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Lord, you tell us to go and I pray that we would. We would hear your voice and follow. You are faithful and wonderful and beautiful and true. No matter what anybody else says about us, Lord, it doesn't matter. You get the final say. You have the last word. It's yours to judge. You are the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I am. We praise you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.